Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast made by and made for Keyforge friends the world round. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I am also called Alex by many who know me and a few who don't. And I am joined this week, as always, by my Keyforge coach, my Keyforge compadre, and my good Keyforge friend. It's Boulevard Paper Fight. What's going on, Blake? Hey, man. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. We got to play some Keyforge tournament style on Saturday morning with uh, some of our friends. That was really fun. It was indeed, yes. And um, you did quite well in the tournament, and I think you might have even actually won if something hadn't happened. What happened, Alex? I might have slept in and missed the first round. <laughs> yeah, and he lost the first round as uh, as a result, and he, I think you were undefeated other than that, and I guess the phrase, you snooze, you lose, really comes into play right now. It certainly does, but I cannot blame, you know, I was tired, I was sleepy, I still have a lot of fun, I really hope that uh, my not being present for the first round didn't derail anybody's day. Uh, big shout out to Ryan uh, uh, for uh, being a good sport about that. But yeah, it was just super fun, and the the premise for this tournament was great. It was just bring uh, three unplayed AOA decks and let's just go. Like bring bring the best of what you've opened up from your your hall. If you were one of the folks like us who got uh, a hall, and let's all play against one another with these decks. And man, it was a good time. Also, just like the thrill of I've never played this deck. Let's try and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally was, and it ended up being basically like a local tournament for us. Uh, plus Dr. Sheep, which was great having him there because uh, I've never actually got to talk to him before, but I've interacted with him many times. So it was, it was really nice getting to have that really casual, relaxed. Uh, I was like thinking about streaming it, and then uh, I decided not to and just really enjoy the the chat and uh, camaraderie of playing some Keyforge on a Saturday morning. Yeah. One of the jokes locally is that if there's a tournament, then the Help From Future Self guys are always going to end up playing each other. So it'll be like me versus Rick, then Rick versus you, then me versus you. And it always happens without fail. And you and I did end up playing, and I did end up playing against Rick. But so uh, did I. I had forgotten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It always works out that way. No matter how many people are involved, no matter what, it always seems to happen. With that said, you know, it was really fun to just get back into that rhythm, the back and forth, like uh, the friendliness. And it's something that I've been missing from Keyforge so much lately, just because mm -hmm. all of my games have been online and frequently just against random opponents on the Crucy. So, you know, getting getting the opportunity to just like chat with you and talk a little bit about how our turn is going. And also like it being in a low pressure, like it's not a, this wasn't a hardcore heavy duty tournament. This is just no. a fun thing amongst friends. And like you said, you know, we just have the camaraderie of chatting. So, you know, I wasn't worried about giving away anything or whatever. You know, we would just talk about how much fun we were having, how our games went, and how this game that we were playing was going. And man, did I miss that, Blake. Yeah, me too, man. It was a lot of fun. One thing that I'm very excited for is this week's topic. It's something that we've discussed, I think, in the context of other uh, episodes and other topics, but never really dedicated a whole episode to. So we're going to be talking about Keyforge art in this episode, and I'm super excited because one of the things that I think has always been super appealing to me about Keyforge has been how bright, colorful, and unique the art of Keyforge is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. I know some people do not take any stock in the art, 
But it is a big part of the game, especially in the Crucible now when uh, you have half-card images. The the card art itself is a very defining feature of you identifying what is on the board and what is being played without necessarily having to hover over the card to see the deets. Mm -hmm, totally true. It's also one of the things that I think very early on in the game is made it very distinctive compared to every other game. Um, obviously, you know, so many of the features of Keyforge are unique to it. You know, the unique deck idea, um, them being procedurally generated, um, the house idea, the fact that you're not fighting your opponent, you're racing your opponent. All those ideas are unique to Keyforge, but the identity of Keyforge right from the very beginning was very much based around this wild, colorful, imaginative world that, you know, it's not a mistake that there is no, like, super dark house in the original version of Keyforge, I don't think. Like, there mm -hmm. was no evil or zombie or vampire or, you know, I'm just going to say it, MTG Black equivalent in Keyforge. Keyforge yeah, Dis has, was the closest. Yeah, Dis was the closest, and Dis is all bright bright magenta and pink colors and crackling energy you know shadows is deep purples and you know super imaginative and oftentimes very fun cards and that's one of the things that i really always loved about keyforge at the outset was the idea of things should be bright and they should spark your imagination mm -hmm. i like that too so we sort of broke this down into the idea of things that we really like in Keyforge artwork and things that we don't like in Keyforge artwork. And I want to preface this by saying right off the top, even if we say that we don't care for a particular piece of art or a particular design in a piece of art, I don't want this to come across as a personal criticism of the artist. Um, many artists draw many cards and sometimes a card just doesn't work for me. And we'll sort of go over what the reasons for that might be or why the reason that it might be quote unquote bad art. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I think that that everything that artist does is bad or that even necessarily it's a bad piece of artwork. It just might not work in the context of Keyforge. You know? It's a communication thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I think we're probably also going to be talking about a lot of subjective things. A lot of the examples that I think you and I are going to use today are going to be things that people are going to go, why are they talking about that? That's not that amazing. Or we're going to say, you know, I didn't care for this. And somebody will go, well, I love that card. And I think it does this. I would love to hear your opinions about this stuff. As always, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think at HFFS podcast. Why don't we get into it? Sounds good, man. I used the phrase sparks your imagination earlier. And to me, that is the absolute best thing that a Keyforge card can do. When a Keyforge card says something about the game of Keyforge and the world of the Crucible, that is incredible to me because what it says is, you know, uh, your imagination is part of this game. It's not just about sort of like playing, uh, uh, you know, a card and just paying attention to the numbers and paying attention to the mechanics and not even thinking about what the card is representing from a flavor standpoint. The art is what takes it from being just a numbers game into being an actual like game with its own universe, with its own mythology, with its own lore. And I have a couple of examples and I would love to hear what yours are, Blake. One of the first ones that popped into my mind is a card that uh, I've loved for a long time that I haven't actually played with in a lot of decks. But every time I look at the art, it always gets me a little bit just because it's one of those ones that suggests a little universe unto itself. Um, Perplexing Sophistry is a card I love, Blake. You ever look at the art for that one? Uh, yes, that's the... Is that the one with the, the judge, right? Exactly. The old Bruno-looking judge? 
Yeah. So it's a shadows card and the art for it is a shadows character. Um, it might in fact be one of the standard shadows characters that we've seen in many of the sets. You know, it's definitely an elf thief as so many of the shadows characters are making his case to a judge. And there's a jury in the background and there's somebody who's looking at a picture, presumably from some kind of a wanted poster uh, of this guy who's making his case to the judge and the judge is confused. And there's another, you know, sort of juror or judge next to him who's also contemplating what this character is saying. And to me, that says so much. Basically, the artist took the idea of, you know, this uh, perplexing sophistry, the idea of somebody, you know, making a convincing argument or convincing case, and then built up this whole little scenario around it. An elven thief at trial. You know, the jury is there listening to what they're saying and being convinced. The judge is confused. Maybe this guy's putting one over on them. It says so much about not just, you know, what the card itself is, but it says something about shadows and it says something about the universe of the crucible. Maybe they have trials there. Maybe elven thieves get captured for thievery and actually have to go on trial and defend themselves. There's so much more to it than just the actual card itself. And that's one of the things that I dig about it. Yeah. I, I like that too. I think there's a lot of that in shadows, like very, very strong uh, way of that happening. So I, I definitely love that. Totally. Have you got one that sparks your imagination, Blake? Yeah, for me, it's actually uh, a Coda classic, and I think hard to argue that it's not one of the best cards in the game, and that's Hunting Witch. Mm. That was This is maybe the piece of art that really drew me into the game and made me absolutely just love it. And it's it's not just the Hunting Witch, but it's the the creature that's next to it, which I don't think we've really ever seen actually be personified in an individual card but that it almost looks like a badger of some kind like a bear badger with the red ember spines Mm -hmm. and uh, running next to it and it just has this really great art and this tarzan looking character running through the jungle in this pack of uh whatever these bear creatures are i've always wanted to see that explored more and just the the style of art on that and everything is is totally up my alley and i'd love to know the story behind like the hunting witch yeah, like it suggests so much. Like it just says, who is this guy? Who are these creatures he's with? What is he doing? Is he wearing one of their pelts? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that is that is what it looks like. And it's just it's it's for sure one of my favorite, but it's it's actually the to the right of the actual witch. Yeah. That that creature is what draws me into that card. Like that's the memorable aspect of that card for me, is the way that creature is drawn. So I, I always just want to see maybe will those creatures appear now? Because we've never seen them, I think. And we have, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, so many cards where we have seen concepts like that introduced, a character that gets introduced in a card and then is, is you know, sort of, you know. Uh, its own thing. Its own thing later. Another card that I genuinely love because it suggests a lot to me is Martian Generosity. Um, mm. Basically, the card art from Martian Generosity is a Mars guy who's being a big toughie and he's intimidating a shopkeep somewhere. And the, I guess suggestion here is that martians will pay you for something but they're going to take you for all you're worth like is it a shakedown is that what's going on here are the martians gangsters on the crucible threatening people making them pay protection um i really like it because it makes me ask those questions what's going on here in this scenario he's intimidating this shopkeep but what is the martian looking for what does this say about mars as a society we know from all of the different lore stuff that's come out that the martians in the uh uh, Keyforge world are very aggressive. Um, they're very warlike and they are very no nonsense. So what does this mean if he's interacting with another species and intimidating him? 
I, I want to know what's going on. What is the story that's being told here? And it being coupled with just the name of the card, Martian Generosity, really does suggest a whole lot to me just about what could conceivably be happening. It makes my imagination fire off in all kinds of directions and start thinking about what is the story that is being illustrated in this card. Well, the greatest thing about that card that you chose, because it's it's one of my favorites too, specifically because if you go to Exterminate, Exterminate, it is literally the follow-up to that card. It's what <laughs> happened next, and I absolutely love that. And the cool thing is, is they're... Um, they're the same artist. So he drew both like a pair of them and created a little story between those two cards. I absolutely love that. It's one of my my favorite things about Martian Generosity and Exterminate, Exterminate, almost to the point where sometimes when you see Exterminate, Exterminate just by the card art when you're opening a deck, you can be like, oh, is this a generosity? No, it's not. But it's it's really great. I, I'm, I'm loving that little, uh, the little two card story that exists there. I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mention a card here that I think is incredible um, and that I suspect is going to come up numerous times over the course of this episode because it's a mutual favorite of both of ours. Away Team is an incredible card just Mm -hmm. from an art standpoint. Like it's going to fit into so many of the categories that we have for today. But the imagination factor for me is huge because Away Team is the second set that we've had, the Star Alliance. But it's the first time that we've seen sort of this idea of here's a bunch of Star Alliance members together down on a planet, beamed down in the style of Star Trek, presumably, or maybe like flown down on a shuttle. And now they're exploring the planet and there's this huge world that they're just these tiny little like creatures in the middle of. And there's like flying creatures going around in these huge trees. And if you look at the individual members, you know, there may be some creatures that we recognize from previous sets and there's a robot and it just, it, it's an entire universe, right? Like it says, here is what Star Alliance does. Here is part of Star Alliance's whole bag, going to unexplored places and exploring them, working as a team, being an actual alliance. It just builds out Star Alliance so much and also suggests the grandeur and the wild wonder of the Crucible. Yeah, and there's even some cool things that actually um, Lady Kefina tweeted out today that I happened to see, which was the the emergence of Keyfrog on different cards. And uh, Keyfrog is actually seen to the right there, just chilling on a log, what? which is pretty cool that they have that little tie in there. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, to the to the right, there's actually something. It looks like it's being scanned right underneath that tree. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, I love that. That's actually a great segue into sort of our next thing about what makes a a particular piece of artwork great. I love it when there are lore or references to consistent characters in Keyforge art. Um, There's a lot of paired cards that work this way. So, for example, my classic example of this is Doc Bockton is a card in the original Coda. Um, She's working on a robot. You think nothing of it. That robot shows up in the very next set. It's Helperbot. And suddenly Mm. that blew my mind the first time I made that realization because we didn't know that there would be a card coming out of Helperbot. He's just a thing that, you know, was, you know, part of Doc Bookton's. But now we actually understand, wow, you know, Helperbot is obviously Doc Bookton's assistant or something that she works on. And that creates lore and has, you know, sort of a consistency across multiple sets. I love that. Yeah, me too. It's one of my uh, favorite things as well. That's such a neat little like Easter egg, so to speak, that exists within it. 
I also want to give a big shout out to all the times that we've seen my beloved Fuzzy Gruen show up. Fuzzy Gruen's obviously a personal favorite card of mine, um, as you could probably tell just based on my screen name, etc. But I love it when he showed up in Unsuspecting Prey. Um, I loved it when he was a, a mutant uh, cephaloist and stuff like that, uh, as drawn by the original artist in that case, um, just because it, it gives sort of the Crucible a consistent wildlife. And I like it when we get to see the same creatures occur numerous times because obviously each of the houses has a very distinctive design unto themselves, but I love the fact that Untamed, which oftentimes is the most varied in that regard because it's sort of based on sort of like a wide world of animals, you still get the idea that, no, this isn't just a one-of-a-kind creature or character. It's a species, and this species is around and doing things on the Crucy. Mm-hmm, yeah. I like that too. Um, and and as we were talking about the, the changeover, I thought it was really interesting that Transporter Platform Mm-hmm. had um you know it has three characters on there and this has obviously become a i would say a set identifying card like transporter platform definitely became one of the reasons why worlds collide was as great as it was mm-hmm. and a combo and a deck archetype emerged but you see there's three characters in there and the one on the right is this alien which actually became all the alien creatures for the mutant um like the techno umbra all those different ones uh, that is the alien that ended up getting taken. And I think that's such a neat thing because it's a different artist, but they found something that existed within a previous art and then uses it to now recreate a new card off of that initial image that someone else started. And that kind of like baton passing of things, I think, is what makes the game so great as it moves forward. Exactly. Consistent universe. One of the Mm -hmm. great things about Keyforge is that it is very much based around this idea of there is a continuity. This is not, all right, now we're visiting a different planet with different characters and different species that we're dealing with and a different art style and a different sort of motif. They can introduce that, but it's always going to be in the context of we're on the Crucible and the Crucible has a consistency to it. It's world building through art, and I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the many tools that get used along with flavor text and just general sort of card naming and stuff like that. But very, very exciting for me. Also, just like a shout out when you get to see cards that interact in ways where it's like, oh, the sting, um, that's a vehicle and Smiling Ruth drives it. So if you get a deck with both of those together, it's like a fun little pairing. But like mm-hmm. there's no real advantage to having those particular cards together in any way. It's really just the idea that somebody decided at some point that the Sting and Smiling Ruth would go together um, art wise and they kind of do. And that's just a fun idea. I like it. Yeah, I agree. Moving along, this one's kind of the easiest one and the most subjective one. And I'm sure you and I are going to mention like some some different particular cards and some different artists uh, as we talk about this one. But just incredible execution on artwork will always impress me. And this is subjective, right? Um, a card that I might look at and go, I think that art is incredible. Uh, somebody else might go, ah, it's not that special or vice versa, right? Like I'm sure there's lots of cards that uh, I've never given a second thought to that some people think are some of the best art in the game. But, uh, you know, if I look at a card like, say, the Grim Reaper, that is an amazing card to me. I love the way it looks. I love what it suggests. I love the um, unusual way that it is positioned. You're not seeing face on this character. You're seeing as it's flying away from you. I love that when we first saw it, it was not really possible to figure out what happened house he might fit into you know it was just a very 
like distinctive and unusual looking card. And it really totally just blew my mind the first time that big, crazy techno scythe that it had. Everything about it just excited me. I thought it was a terrific piece of artwork, especially when you got to see it full size on that play mat that they made of it. Yeah, for sure. I agree. hundred percent. Who are your summer favorite? Or, sorry, I was going to say, who are your summer favorite artists in Keyforge, Blake? So for me, um, my favorite artist is, uh, without a doubt, Natalie Russo is mm-hmm. my my top. Uh, the artist who created the most beautiful art on the worst card. And of course, we're talking about Bumblebird. And um, she's also responsible for Secure Droid, Quadricoder, um, some of the, the great, cute, fuzzy Gruen art that we've seen. Um, as well as the heartbreaking, draining touch. Yes, exactly. That's the one. And um, she, she's been my absolute favorite artist from day one. I just really like her style. And then, of course, I think we both, uh, and I don't, when I say both, I feel like the entire community would be remiss not to have some love for a balance sheet card, at least one. It's just such a unique style. And it's so iconic the way balance sheet has done the art that uh, I think all those cards are so great. And and doesn't it seem like balance sheet gets like the best cards too, as well, are his Mm -hmm. art? I would absolutely agree with that. If you start looking through the cards that Balance Sheet has has drawn, um, it's just incredible artwork across the board. And there's some of the like staple staple cards: Stealth Mode, Library of Babel, um, you know, uh, Howling the Forge Pit. Com- Yes, exactly. The Howling Pit. Candle Unit, which is an incredible piece of artwork. I love Candle Unit. Yeah, Destroy um, Them All. Oh, that one's so good. Battle Fleet. Mm-hmm. Speaking of cards that look great, if you just blow them up to huge size, like just everything about what Balance Sheet does, I really dig. Even ones that are kind of like a little more laid back, like Curiosaurus, which is sort of an aerial view of, uh, you know, uh, a, a sort of a Saurian, I guess, arena of sorts or temple of sorts really does just get the flavor across. And especially at the size of a card, right? Like you look at it and you immediately understand what's being illustrated, what's being suggested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for me that- though, my, my my like favorite piece of art for a while now, for a couple sets, mm-hmm. has been Sensor Chief Garcia. The that piece of art is just oh, that's the one I wish I had like a full playmat for. Like I love it's on the the VT Star Alliance map, but that one for me is that that art is just such a beautiful purples and everything, and it's so well communicated. Um, that's the thing is is I'm you know I think most people know I'm very partial to uh, the Grand Star Alliance so I really like the diversity of the similarity and diversity of art because that they have recruited so many different uh, life forms into their cause which I think makes it so interesting and obviously the Star Trek flavor makes it just like an extra level of fun. You know a card that low-key has been one of my favorites forever just purely on the basis of the artwork it's not a bad card at all on its own but Flaxia I love. Oh, Have yeah, you ever taken call. a close look at Flaxia where it's the little fairy riding the crazy like, you know, uh, I guess they might be amber spine mongrels now that I'm thinking about it. But if they aren't, at the very least, it's still just a fairy riding one of these creatures. There's no hard black lines in the art at all. So it's all just mm. like these nice magentas and dark blues and grays and gradients of those things and nice bright green for everybody's eyes, including Flaxia's and the creatures. I just love looking at it so much, especially at larger than card size. It's so, you know, dynamic and exciting and interesting and Flaxia is facing you as you're looking at the card. So it really sells her personality. I love it to death. Yeah. Good call. 
Just a terrific card. Um, lastly, let's talk a little bit about cards that have uh, are distinctive or imaginative. I have a couple that I wanted to suggest here. Sometimes this category is kind of like it has a sense of humor and that's fun. And that's where nature's call falls in. It was our friend June who eventually explained this card to me because I had looked at it a bunch of times, but I was looking at it in the way where you aren't actually seeing what the thing is. Was that the case with you or did you always kind of get it, quote unquote, with with nature's call? I honestly didn't pay any mind to it. So what nature's call and it's a joke about going to the bathroom, absolutely true, the call of nature, is suggesting is there's a character standing in the middle looking at two what I must be bathroom doors with two indistinct symbols on them, and they can't figure out which door they're supposed to go in to use the lavatory. That's hilarious to me. Yeah, it's um, pretty funny. I like that one. Yeah, especially, too, where the whole suggestion is essentially, you know, boils down to, you know, we, we made a bathroom joke in this card at the very beginning of the game. And that sells the game's sense of humor to me because it's saying, okay, yeah, it's a game where there's battles and there's war and stuff like that. We have Brobnar and we have Sanctum Knights and all this serious stuff, but it's still a game in which there is, you know, a sense of humor about things and where that's going to be a thing that we're not afraid of. You know, even if you don't like bathroom humor, I think this is a joke, you know, sort of just about, it's, it's a subtle enough bathroom joke that I didn't get it for a long time. And then once I did, I now find hilarious. Yeah, fair. Uh, are there any cards that you have that sort of like uh, are distinctive or imaginative uh, or, uh, you know, uh, something that sticks out to you as just a feature of them that uh, that grabs you? Yeah, the um, the United Action card mm, that's from right. Star Alliance that has that Freddie Mercury looking character hopping out of a plane. I, I really like that one because it seems... Uh, I don't know, it just it, it looks so different from most of the Star Lines card, like that aerial view of hopping out of plane. Uh, I find that so interesting and just what it represents the card itself that you can't use stuff, but you can like use uh, you can't use stuff, but you can play stuff if it's in play. I think that's such a cool design and, and idea. Mm -hmm, totally. I want to give a big shout out to Regrettable Meteor. Um, it took me forever to figure out this is what was being illustrated. You are looking into the eye of a Saurian who is seeing his entire civilization being destroyed. Like the, the basically the, the card art is if you're looking at just the art, you can see the outline of the eye. And then the reflection in the eye is a bunch of dinosaurs freaking out because a meteor is wiping them out. And mm -hmm. I love it so much because, you know, if it was just the meteor falling and wiping out the dinosaurs, fine, whatever, that's cool. But the idea of, putting you sort of in the space of looking directly into the eye of a Saurian seeing this happening, you know, it just grabbed me instantly. It was like, Oh my God, you know, that must be horrifying seeing your entire civilization wiped out awful. But you know, at the same time, it, it also just speaks to sort of Keyforge's, I think sensibility in many ways. Um, I really dig that artwork. Yeah. And, and I also really like that they've, it's only happened a couple times, but when there's uh, cards that have a synergistic art, like, of course, the Opal and Onyx Knight, which is mm. like the same image side by side. And of course, Scylla and uh, Charybdis, those yeah. two, you can literally put them side by side and it, and it creates a, a painting almost like a, a bigger mural. I really like that idea when it's, it has a, a some sort of synergy between the two cards and what it represents or they go together. And then you have the art overlap on another. I, I really like that as a design choice for the game. Yeah, anytime I would love to see them explore that more just because I really dig looking at those cards side by side and getting to see larger images being drawn out of them. And it really mm -hmm. does, you know, it, it, it does the thing that you suggested as well, where, you know, we were talking about earlier as well, where it really creates the universe, right? 
yeah, you know, agreed. these cards go together and they tell you, you know, something about, or like even Ivan and uh, um, Odd Claude. So moving on, talking about cards that the art is less good or that doesn't speak to us as much. Once again, I want to stress here, this is not a criticism of the artist themselves as a person or even as an artist necessarily, just saying that these cards don't work for us. I think that oftentimes, this is a thing that we saw in Coda, cards that were too similar and lacked distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at many of the classic Dis and Sanctum cards, um, Sanctum being, I think, one of the worst offenders for this. Because of the uniformity of the Sanctum design with the Spirit Knights and the regular Knights, it's very difficult for me to remember sometimes which knight is which. Like I got used to their poses and I got sort of mental shortcuts for remembering which one is which, but it was very hard to get excited about any individual knight as a quote unquote character because they all kind of looked similar and had a similar sensibility with a few exceptions. You know, obviously we had things like the four horsemen who were very distinct and so forth, but uh, I found the same thing with disc creatures as well. Their uniformity oftentimes meant that you sort of get these kind of generic looking disc creatures as opposed to disc creatures that suggested sort of the wildness of them being these crazy demons from an underworld. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And you're, you're right with what you're saying between sanctum and the uh, disc creatures. The wild thing about Sanctum is they're not even the same artist. A lot of the, like, in fact, all mm-hmm. of them are not the same artist. I think like it's very rare, and it's just I, they must have been given the direction to do things a certain way. And for the most part, it seems to always be. And, and this carried all over into mass mutations, but they seem to have done a better job at showing some distinction. Was it, it's a knight that's standing there with a pose, and then has some sort of uh, like pastel blue background like a very light and then these these gold symbols around it and they all had that same quality their spirit symbols and it just became a little bit too um same same Mm -hmm, totally you know and it was one of those things too where it carried over into other cards like radiant truth has just a generic sanctum knight on it it's like how am i ever supposed to be excited about this card where it just looks like so many other sanctum cards there's nothing that makes it stand apart um I'm also going to throw in, and I know this was a design decision by the team, but it really bugs me. I think the repeat art on certain things really bothers me. It bothered me with the bruise and the blasters in Worlds Collide, where you just would get all these cards that had the exact same artwork. And the artwork was fine, but seeing it over and over and over to represent different cards was, you know, it was kind of sad. I would have rather seen more different original art around that. I understand what the premise was, and I understand why they did it, but... It bugged me and it bugs me now, I think, in Mass Mutation when we have like things like the Fiends and the Aliens. And there is slight variations the though on them. There are slight variations. Which is what they should have done with the blasters. Though. Like they, they mm-hmm. did build on that. They have like the core piece of art and then there's there's a there's a piece of it that's slightly different. So it is an improvement from what True. you were saying. But it's still very hard for me to remember which Yeah, I know, can't for the life of me. Yeah, which is which, right? I will tell you something funny is is um as we were going over this, the fact that the blasters were all the same piece of art, I didn't realize until we were like doing this episode pretty much. Like I didn't realize it was all the oh, same man. art until right now. So I guess that one didn't stick with me as hard as it did with you. Yeah. It it, it bugs me just because I like art and I like it when cards have distinctive and different art. Um One of the other things that really bugs me um, in Keyforge artwork um, is oftentimes where maybe the art is really good, but it's hard to tell what's happening in the art at card size. A good classic example of this is Gateway to Dis. Um, Gateway to Dis is an image of a creature 
who is hanging off a cliff and below him there is a giant presumable gateway to this but if you look at that card in a vacuum without getting up real close to it to see what's going on it is just a big mess of purples and pinks and it's hard to tell what's happening on it mm-hmm. um at the same time also i think you know key hammer is another great example of this um key hammer is just an image where it's hard to tell what's going on in it because the size at which it's at doesn't give it a lot of room to get across the idea that it's bolts of energy that are blasting apart, presumably a key. Um, I'd also put save the pack in this category. I mean, save the packs a totally fine classic card, but looking at that artwork at the size that it's at, it's much harder to tell what's actually going on, which is a pack of animals attacking a much larger and injured predator. Um, yeah, I just it doesn't work for me, and it's not because it's a bad piece of art. It just doesn't reproduce well at Keyforge card size. Yeah, I'm same with like Hecatomb. I'm not a big fan of. I just find it's like it's not. But I, I that one I think must have been hard for the artist to draw because mm. like what is like Hecatomb? You know what I mean? It doesn't have very much context for things. But it's uh, that one is one of my least favorites because even the creatures on there, it's like I I never seen a creature look like that before on the Crucy or in any other capacity. So. Um, yeah, that one's kind of a weird one for me. Are there any others that don't read well for you at a, at a particular size? Um, I feel like the, you know what I will say that I, I feel that as the game has gone on and more sets have come out, things have gotten a lot better. Totally. I feel like there has been huge improvements as we've progressed. Yeah, I would a hundred percent agree with you. Um, I do actually I, have one that, that, um, I, I don't really I I love how it looks and it almost seems slightly out of place within the context of the house, but um, and that is I believe the card's overrun in Brobnar mm-hmm. because the the card is like it's actually it looks almost like a shadows card in the way that's designed in layout but with Brobnar colors. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I, I don't know. I just it feels out of place to me within the Brobnar realm. That's all. It's not. It's not that the card art isn't beautiful. It's actually one of my favorite Brobnar art. It's just that it feels very out of place within what you see in Brobnar. Like it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb with those those really bright pastel blues when that's not really a thing in Brobnar that much. Very true. Very true. So yeah, it sort of doesn't match the identity of the house. I guess. Yeah. Um, that kind of takes us to our last sort of negative category. Um, when a card is boring, generic, or unimaginative, I find that it bugs me. Um, my classic example of this is pile of skulls. Pile of skulls is a pile of skulls. That's what the image is. Um, that's it. That's all there is to that card. Um, and that bugs me because pile of skulls is an interesting card mechanically. And yet, you know, when given the brief of Pile of Skulls, you know, you, you would expect that, all right, you, you could do so much more with it. Is there a character on top of the Pile of Skulls? Is there someone adding to the Pile of Skulls? Is somebody juggling some skulls? Anything other than just a literal Pile of Skulls, Blake? I actually really like that card. It's really? one of my, I like the art a lot. Yeah, I think it's it's great. So I'm, I'm uh, not with you on that one, Alex. Hey, Sorry fair. to have to say. You're on your own. Fair. How do you feel about Orb of Wonder then? Oh, I love that card, but I don't know. It's it's hard to, I can't tell if I love it because the card is what it is or if it's because it's, um, I will say this, like I was shocked when I found it was in Sanctum. I can tell you that much. Yeah. I mean, I guess my big thing with Orb of Wonder is that, you know, it's just a glowing orb. 
Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't feel like an idea that, you know, a lot of thought went into. And that kind of bugs me in the same way that pile of skulls is where it's just like, all right, the card is called orb of wonder. And here is what we are having for, to suggest the majesty of this orb that has this incredible mechanic that, you know, can win games for you. It's a generic orb. Yeah, you're right. You know what? They're kind of sanctum is, did get the short end of the stick when it comes to some of the art choice. Like even eye of judgment is almost the same thing. And, uh, cause like, I feel like font of the eye is quite nice. It's, it's like a really beautiful, stunning art. That mm-hmm. communicates really well. I have judgment. I always found the art just be like, okay, you know, like it's it's not it's like it's fine, but it's not like anything that spectacular to me. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, and I think they they went a long way towards f- quote unquote fixing Sanctum as time went by. Like if you look at the new Sanctum cards that get introduced in Mass Mutation, you get some really cool, distinctive looking Sanctum cards like Scrivener Fabian. Um, you know, mm-hmm. just characters and ideas that we've never seen before. And I love that, you know, the seeker of truth, I think is a neat card from an art perspective. I also, I also like how they, they took things like ardent hero to lady Lorena and Baldrick the bold. Mm-hmm. There's like, it's, they, they just, they changed the background. So even though the posing is very similar, the, the background colors are all so different mm-hmm. that you're not going to have it confused. Like with the older ones did. Yeah, Totally. They, they feel new. Like they mm-hmm. don't feel like a retread of old sanctum. And I love that. Yeah. If we're going to finish things off, this is one of my least favorite cards mechanically. And one of my least favorite cards art wise, I got to throw it out here. Um, my apologies to the artist, but I cannot stand to look at key of darkness. <laughs> and it probably started with me hating the card for it being terrible. And then the more I look at it, I'm like, man, I don't even like the art on this. It's like pile of skulls and orb of wonder. Just, all right, what's the brief key of darkness. All right. Let's draw a dark key. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it is the most basic art. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, I, like I, it's well drawn. It's just the. It's just I just don't think it's 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 interesting. Like it's very. If you look at it, it's got a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. It's just not. Like I think it's just because the key by itself. It was like in a lock or something like so a little bit more to it. Might have been been uh, a little bit more interesting. Totally, 100%. I want to go out here and just say there is not a single Keyforge card I can think of that I think has quote-unquote bad art from a technical standpoint. I don't think there's any amateurish art in the game. I don't think that anybody who made did work for Keyforge is a bad artist on any level. I think some cards just don't work for me, and sometimes those are design decisions. Sometimes they just don't spark my imagination. Um, you know, that that's kind of the thing that turns me off of a card, not the lack of ability of the artist. Mm-hmm. With all that said, we cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one is called Help from Future Self. I got one for us this week, Blake. It's actually a lesson that I learned from looking at cards in research for today's episode. Um, Spend some time looking at the cards. And I don't just mean like we've gone through the whole read the cards, make sure you understand. Even if you think you know how it works, read it or, you know, spend some time, you know, learning your deck, etc., I think really just spending a little bit of time looking at and figuring out what's going on in the artwork of the card, even if it's a card you've looked at a million times, actually helps your gameplay a little bit. Because I cannot tell you the number of times, Blake, that I have tripped myself up by playing a card thinking it was another card. 
And mm-hmm. sometimes that's just me being lazy and not thinking and just clicking or playing without actually thinking about what I'm doing. But sometimes I think it's just because I haven't really absorbed the identity of the card and really thought about it. And so I spent so much time preparing for this episode, just looking at cards and really thinking about what was going on in the image. And I came away with not just a new appreciation for the uh, artwork of Keyforge, but also as a thing of like, oh man, you know, I understand this card a little bit better now, what it suggests. And I think the next time I go to play this, that's something that's going to stick with me. And I think that it will actually, on some level, improve my game. No, I like that. Yeah, that's a great idea. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts about your favorite Keyforge artworks. You can find me online at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter and Instagram and on The Crucible. What have you got going on, Blake, and where can they find you? You can find me on my YouTube Boulevard Paper Fight on the Crucy at Boulevard Blake, and that's BLVD for all those abbreviations and same on Twitter. Uh, I'm currently working my way through decks, uh, streaming. I'm um, I'm starting to get tired of AOA again. I can say that honestly <laughs> after opening so many. So um, I think I'm going to start taking a trip down the Worlds Collide memory lane because I, I think I can honestly say that is my favorite set. So uh, stay tuned for me jamming some Worlds Collide and maybe some forgotten gems in the process. I was getting real sick of AOA until I found this heater deck, and now I'm kind of having fun with it again. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but I want to play some more of these less heaty decks just to see what happens. We'll figure it out. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about it next week. We are done for now. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening. And until then, stay safe.